You're listening to Exploring Boys Education, a monthly podcast produced by the International Boys Schools Coalition. I'm Bruce Collins. In this episode, we look back on some of the conversations we've been privileged to have in this season and share some of the insights from our guests that seem to have resonated most with you, our audience. But before we do so, I'm delighted to introduce you to Headmaster David Dini and Assistant Head of the Middle School, Jason Lang, both from St. Mark's School of Texas for a special edition of the IBSC Newsreel. David and Jason, welcome to Exploring Boys Education. It's wonderful to have you on. Thanks. Great to be here. I wanted to ask you first, to what can folks who are attending the IBSC Annual Conference at St. Mark's School of Texas look forward? What are some of those key things that that you think are going to be really great for people? I think the biggest excitement is surrounding everyone getting back together for the first time in three years and uh, rekindling old friendships, making new connections, and having great conversations about the boys that we teach, the boys in our care. At the same time, we're excited to show off St. Mark's School of Texas, Dallas, and I think a lot of people might come to the state of Texas and to Dallas with some preconceived notions of what Texas is. And while we certainly hope to embrace some of those, we also hope to, to redefine those a little bit and show you that Dallas is much more than uh, cattle drives and hats and um, it's a city of innovation and fu- of the future. And, um, we want to share a piece of that with you. But more than anything, we want to make sure that we provide a venue where people can get together, hear some groundbreaking ideas from some amazing speakers. Um, we're very blessed in our St. Mark's community to have some really thought-provoking people from um, deep space explorers to uh, friendships with anthropologists to uh, civic leaders um, that are really going to tie into our theme of the path to manhood and give us some great fodder for conversation over the course of the three, three and a half days that we're together. It's great to hear that, Jason. You you mentioned the speakers, and I think that's uh, my next question is, and, and I know those are available online for people to see, but, but uh, there are a number of superb keynote speakers lined up. Maybe Maybe either of you can talk a little bit about who will be sharing with us. Yeah, we're, we're, we're really excited about the lineup of plenary speakers that have, have agreed to be with us for the conference. And so uh, obviously excited on Sunday afternoon to have David Brooks, you know, um, well, well-known, well-regarded, highly respected author and, and columnist and thinker um, who's, who, who gives so much focus and attention to character development, not only for young children and adolescents, but also adults, and um, and and shares a lot of thought-provoking, I think, um, uh, perspective also on culture and the importance that culture plays in creating institutions and environments that allow for uh, really positive development for for individuals and for communities. At the other end, at the closing uh, session on. At the, at the tail end of the conference, one of our graduates, Alan Stern, who's a mid-70s graduate, has been a, a planetary space scientist for, for many years. And he's, he's on our campus routinely and has spoken to our faculty and boys many times um, and really discovered a passion for space when he was here uh, in the planetarium that we have at school, which people will have a chance to see. And then in between, uh, from Julie Lithgott-Hames, 
to also uh, Lee Berger, noted paleoanthropologist that Jason mentioned, who's of course based down in South Africa. And so we're, you know, we're we're excited that 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 we have a range of speakers, and and then in, including our own uh, mayor of Dallas, Eric Johnson. And he also happens to be a school parent. We're really excited about the range of speakers. And again, just thanks to Jason and his team and members of our community for making those kinds of opportunities uh, happen. What is the sort of one, maybe there's not one, but what's the one unmissable thing? Maybe a food item or a place to visit or a thing to do in Dallas? Dallas doesn't have mountains. It doesn't have an ocean, but it does food really well. And I hope that you'll get a chance to taste our barbecue, um, our Tex-Mex, and certainly experience our hospitality. The friendliest people in America live in, in Texas, and many of those live in Dallas. And we hope that all of our visitors get a chance to experience all three of those things and much, much more. There's a, an incredible sense of warmth and authenticity here and, and friendliness that, it, that exists, I, th- I think, in the state and certainly in Dallas. And and we're, we're, we've certainly been thinking about ways to, to not only have that uh, occur naturally, but also make sure we highlight uh, some of the things that, that make this, this environment uh, unique. Thank you so much for, for whetting our appetite for what we are to experience in um, a couple of weeks' time or so. Um, and we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. We're coming to the end of Season 3 of Exploring Boys Education. The podcast IBSC launched in April 2019 with our pilot episode in which Sherry Rusher from St. Albans School in Washington, D.C. spoke with Dr. Adam Cox about the current climate that finds boys under heavy scrutiny and boys' schools even more so. In that episode, they explored what boys' schools and boyhood represent and challenged the perception of what is really happening in boys' schools. That episode, mind you, is still being downloaded by listeners over three years after it was produced. Since then, as many of you know, we've had the privilege of hearing from a plethora of guests who have offered sage advice and practical suggestions for educating boys. Season 3 has been packed with the same caliber of voices, both from educators and leaders in boys' schools and experts alike. As I spent time preparing for this episode, three themes were prominent in my conversations with our guests, and in this highlight reel I'd like to reflect on the important thoughts that were shared. We started the season with a reflection on the IBSC and its future, in which our guests, IBSC Board Chair Christopher Post and Officers David Deeney and David Ferguson, shared their thoughts on the challenges currently facing boys and boys' schools. When you see that the proportionate scenario that we're looking at where boys are falling further and further behind, just in terms of college enrollments across the U.S., is, 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 is pretty breathtaking. Um, Certainly, we're all wrestling with technology, and that's 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 we're using it today. We've used it in our schools in in more ways again than we'd anticipated, and that's a there. We recognize both the upsides and the downsides of technology, and 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 certainly whether it's isolation or abusive technology is is problematic. At the same time, I think you know our schools have have always been focused on the development of character, the forging of character in boys, and helping them develop into good men. And that mission orientation of our schools and of the coalition, I think, is is now more important than ever. 
And so it's it's gratifying to be associated with and aligned with schools and a coalition that is is reinforcing the values that we care about as school leaders and as educators. Um, and and that takes on many forms, whether it's helping boys develop uh, a full understanding of healthy relationships, what in, inclusion and belonging really means, what community means, um, and understand the responsibility of manhood. I, I think are more important than ever now as is, is, is we take on the challenge of, of, of helping our boys and communities um, prepare them for the responsibilities of, of manhood and of leadership and of and of global citizenship. Thanks, David. I'm, I mean, some of the things front of mind for me concerning the ongoing education of boys, are, obviously, it's a period of, of uncertainty. I'm not sure we had certainty in 2019, but I think we thought, I think now we, we thought we did. But it, inevitably, I think it's making us reflect on what do we change as a result of this? Is some sort of online learning going to be part and parcel of what school looks like now? Um, which gets us thinking again about what we teach and why we teach it. And um, as David said, the importance of still talking to the boys about uh, character education is is right up there near the top of the priority list. And the issues around toxic masculinity, education around relationships and um, the sexual behavior of boys is it, it's we're talking about those things, which is, I think it's great and, and probably long overdue and um, mental health's just part and parcel of something that we talk about now. And, and 10 years ago, I'm not sure that was the case. So those things that even before the pandemic we were talking about remain important. And um, for me, are right up there as big priorities in terms of the education of young men at the moment. David, I share uh, your optimism for the for for the present and for the future, both about this generation that is that is in our schools and and about the impact that they'll have. Now, I, I think about this notion of belonging, uh, wanting each of our boys to um, to to see belonging in his community, both both locally and, and more broadly. Um, and essentially, for us, it's it's how well are we able to enable our boys to hold up mirrors to look at themselves to see who they truly are and then and then to think about and create that vision for himself that vision for greatness and and the impact that he can have so that he can go off and lead a good and fulfilling life uh and i think as you described the many things that are coming at boys today um at, at a speed that is accelerated by technology it, it's all the more important for us to be able to to slow those things down to again sort of return to an elemental process for our boys and, and to be in environments where, again, supported by uh, by teachers and coaches and advisors who know them, care for them, and truly love them, uh, that's how we'll help our boys grow to be the very best versions of themselves uh, that we want them to be. Unsurprisingly, masculinity emerged as one important topic of conversation this season. We even devoted a two-part episode to the topic later in the season but from episode one, our guests highlighted the importance of positive masculinity. Author and renowned photographer Kate Parker highlighted that her book, The Heart of a Boy, birthed out of a re-examination of what strong looks like and that boys can express themselves outside of the stereotypical man box that society has often created. To... Um showcase all of the different sides of personality, of interest, of, um, 
yeah, the, just the things that they like and the things that they they um, they want to do and um, show the emotionality that is definitely there. And um, I don't know, just trying to to do what I was trying to do with Strong is do pretty make make it okay. And I feel like show kids, you know, oh, here's a boy that is a dancer. Here's a girl that is a baseball player or a wrestler. And just, I mean, and without judgment, without agenda, you're just showing, you know, like if you can see it, you can, you can't, you know, unless you see it, you can't dream it. So trying to just showcase possibility. I think we all have these ideas about what it means to be strong and pass them along to our kids unknowingly or knowingly um, on purpose and not on purpose. And I think re-examining, trying to, you know, that's, I definitely think that's what I am trying to do uh, with my work is, is re-examine what does strong look like? Cause strength is vulnerable. Strength is resilience. Strength is um, kindness. And it is not, you know, closing yourself off and doing everything yourself and struggling on your own. It's, it is this, uh, reaching out and, um, trying to keep, um, you know, our kids as open as, as possible to these ideas that, um, that, you know, strength can look like, like what they would, define as weakness and, and that it is not weak to ask for help and try, you know, just trying to keep our kids as mentally healthy as possible and not have them bottle up emotions and, and hurts and, um, and things like that. But like to, to understand that, um, you know, there's a, there's a certain strength in, in admitting that you need help. In our interview with Craig Wilkinson, the South African author, social entrepreneur, speaker and dad coach, he shares how he suggests we engage with boys about masculinity. There's such an important role that we play and the member schools play in, in raising good men. Um, I think for me, and I'll, I'll just give three brief responses. One is the starting point. We need to start from the point of view that, that true masculinity is a wonderful, beautiful, great gift to society. And we've kind of lost that. A lot of boys are feeling on the back foot about being a man. And I think we need to start as schools to say we, we must not apologize for being men, for being boys, for identifying as a boy and as a man, because that's a fantastic gift to society. So, so let's, you know, I often say to boys at schools, <clears throat> would you be able to pull out your cell phone and tweet, I'm so proud to be a man? And a lot of, a lot of boys, uh, you know, recoil at that. They say, no, 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 so we'd be canceled and, you know. And that's such a sad thing. So we, we've got to start from the point of view, masculinity, true masculinity, a beautiful, wonderful gift, uh, and emphasize that. So we start from that point of view and, and create that culture. And that doesn't mean that, that women aren't in any way. You know, it's not an either-or situation. Uh, but masculinity is a wonderful gift. So is femininity. So is all of humanity. And we need to – the second thing we need to do is provide an environment where it's okay to not be okay. Uh, you know, one of, one of the big lies about masculinity is that um, – uh, big boys don't cry. And so we don't allow boys to be vulnerable. Uh, and what happens is boys then um, don't learn the language of vulnerability, the language of the emotions. Uh, and they, they, put, they, they feel that they always have to man up and be strong. And, and we see that internationally, the suicide rate amongst men is up to four times higher than that of women. And this is one of the reasons. 
because men feel we can't be vulnerable. So if we create an environment where it's okay to not be okay, platforms where boys can share, where we say that, you know, vulnerability is actually strength. <clears throat> it takes a lot more courage for me to say, Bruce, you know, I'm really struggling than for me to say, Bruce, I'm, I'm fine when I'm not fine. So, so that's the second thing we need to do. And I, and I think the third thing is to teach and model true masculinity. You know, there's a lot of confusion about what it means to be a man. What what is masculinity? You know, what does it mean? Uh, and if we if we really teach, and that that's why I developed this the six pack course, um, just talking about six virtues of <clears throat> what does it mean to be a good man? You know, what does it look like uh, in today's world? Because there's a lot of confusion around that. So I think if we do three those three things as schools, we'll go a heck of a long way to 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 growing excellent men. Gordon Braxton, author of Empowering Black Boys to Challenge Rape Culture, offers insights and advice to schools about having conversations with their communities about masculinity. Yeah, well, one of the things we definitely want to do is take a step back and recognize where we are um, as a movement. So I, I remember getting into this work 20 years ago, starting to think about the questions you're raising here to, to, tonight and I, I was voraciously seeking out resources, you know? I wanted stuff to read. I wanted other people to talk to. And it's just been a, a pleasure to watch how much this field has developed, like just in the 20 years since I've been involved. Um, and I have to give a big thank, thank you to all of the, you know, the pioneering women and men who got the ball rolling on this. But if you are interested in having these conversations with your community, I think the first place I would recommend, if, if you don't know where to go, uh, consider just going on Google and see what pops up. <laughs> um, there are books, uh, there, there are films, there are speakers that you can bring in. In some cases, there's entire curricula that's publicly available. So if you don't know where to go, um, you know, that's, that's the beauty of the internet. If you don't have a local resource, you can probably reach out and touch a resource that's already done a lot of the work that you're trying to do with the community. So beyond this, I just want to echo the need to believe in the boys in your community. Um, you know, I'm, I'm largely here right now talking to you right now, Bruce, because educators took the time to identify me. You know, I probably wouldn't be here otherwise. Uh, they took the time to, they picked my voice, you know, amongst the campus and said, we want you to help. They took the time to train me. Um, they took the time to, to empower me, uh, and then they sent me out in the world to do some good, and I, I wouldn't be here without them. Now, I mean, I guess as a word of caution for your audience, like we, we can't look at this work as a one-time event, right? You're not going to be able to hold an assembly uh, and wash your hands of this because we're, we're in the business of culture change, and that takes time. And it takes uh, intense effort, and you need to be prepared uh, to support the boys in your community, to train them uh, when they do step up. And you probably also need to make sure that the adults in your community are engaged in the same conversations. Um, we talked about um, having role models at all levels, and you, you could have some actors in there that are completely counteracting that you're not aware of. Um, so this is, this is, this is long-term intensive work. And there's not a there's no one time solution that you're going to be able to apply to it, um, but and I will say this maybe maybe in closing, Bruce, like um, you know I've been doing I've been speaking in one form or another for about 20 years, 
speaking to friends, <laughs> speaking to anyone that will hear me sometimes. Um, and the, the truth, and you know, I'm not, I haven't always said the right things, you know, and I get, I get better every time I go out and over time I've gotten better and boys shouldn't be afraid to make mistakes. Um, you know, if they make a mistake with someone that truly matters to them, they're going to be able to come back <laughs> and revisit that conversation. I, I can't tell you how many times I had conversations with people that maybe initially didn't go well, but then they came back once and years later and they said, you know, I, I see what you're saying. In our conversation about consent, Katie Kestner, sought after international expert on sexual misconduct and healthy relationships, also highlighted the importance for boys' schools to understand the changing times. I think for a boys' school in particular, the times are changing in every place and space around the globe. Every country, the culture is shifting around what's okay and what's not. You know, even our Governor Cuomo here, who was, a, you know, called out for the way he would hold a woman's face in his hands. Um, it, 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 his thought was, you know, I, that's my, that's how I grew up. It's the family tradition. It's the cultural understanding of affection. And it, it wasn't meant to, you know, demean someone else. But clearly, the times are different. And while that might have been an acceptable behavior 30 years ago, perhaps to some, it certainly is going to be far less accepted by um, most people. So I think we've got to be really cognizant um, of how that expectation and understanding of a a boundary exists um, throughout the world. Another topic front of mind for many in boys' schools is that of the well-being of faculty, staff and boys, particularly in the wake of COVID-19. Andrew Cowley, author of The Well-Being Toolkit, a book about sustaining, supporting and enabling school staff, framed why it is important to be mindful of the well-being of our faculty. Um, well, the why, particularly in, uh, in the UK, is highlighted every November by um, the Education Support Partnership, who uh, published their Teacher Wellbeing Index. Uh, and it uh, answers pretty much the same sort of questions every year. One of the most interesting stats is that over 77% of teachers interviewed are, are reporting very high levels of stress. For senior leaders, that figure is in the 90s. Also, we've got in excess of 54% of teachers seriously considering leaving the profession because of the stress and anxiety that they're under. That's more more than half our workforce. And for leaders, that number is even higher. The question is, what are we going to do to replace those people if they go? And that's a difficult question to answer because the other uh, thing to bear in mind is that for new teachers who come along, the dropout rate in the first five years, and actually indeed in the first three years, is very high. It's estimated that half half teachers go in the first five years. And um, there's been several occasions during the course of my career where I've noticed that the staff were all either over the age of 40 or under the age of 25, and you didn't have that middle ground, that, that fertile middle ground which are your potential future leaders, but you're 
potential current middle leaders who are going to learn in that way. So what was happening was that teachers under the age of 25 were suddenly finding themselves in leadership positions when they weren't ready and without the model that they needed and finding themselves either under stress or taking upon habits which they might have seen from elsewhere which weren't the best habits that might not have endeared them to colleagues in terms of perhaps the way that they were monitoring uh, each other and, uh, and speaking with each other, um, but also leading them, leading them to burnout. So that, that's very much the why. The why is because we do in the UK, and I'm sure this is replicated worldwide, we do have a crisis of recruitment and retention. Cowley went on also to outline some principles that school leaders can consider when addressing their team's well-being. Uh, principles are, are, are very much like, like values. They, everyone has their own. But there's, there's very much some common ones that could be shared by everyone. Uh, I think one important one is, is to have the principle of courage. And, and that, that courage means to be able to stand up to say what is right and what is wrong. And, and what is not acceptable in certain behaviours and expectations within a workplace. So you might have the courage to stand up to somebody who is being uh, unpleasant or unkind to somebody in, in one particular way. You might have the courage as a leader to challenge uh, an observation that a teacher has handed in of another member of staff, particularly if it's been inconsistent with things that you've done in the past. Um, I think it's also very important to have uh, a principle of, of, of celebration, uh, knowing when to to thank and acknowledge uh, members of staff for their contribution to what they, they've done. And I don't mean simply reserving that till the end of term, end of term staff meeting. My experience in my earlier teaching was that the only thank you we got was at the end of term. But that was accompanied by this was wrong, this was wrong, this was wrong which made the, made the thank you meaningless. Um, to actually have a genuine thank, uh, to genuinely thank and acknowledge people during the course of the week, even just an interaction in a corridor, small things like that, which can actually help tip the balance towards a positive culture within a school. Um, empathy is absolutely crucial. Uh, as teachers, we are told when we're training, get to know your class, you know what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what their safeguarding issues are, what their family situations are. If you're doing that with your, your class, as a senior leader, you need to do that with your staff as well. Uh, if, you, if your conversations are purely about work, then you have no relationship in, in the school. If you have the ability to talk to somebody, if you know the name of their spouse, their children, where they've been on holiday, what their interests are, do they have a cat or a dog? They may seem minor things in the broader picture of, of, of a school, but they're actually about relations because they give you a conversation point and they give you a point into talking to somebody. Because if you run an open door policy as a school, but you don't have a policy where you know your staff and your open door is just to come in and talk about school things, what is someone going to do if they're in a genuinely stressful position? What are they going to do if they perhaps have had marital breakdown or they've got parental illness? 
you've got to have that empathy there to enable your staff to open up to you and to share with you. It's all about building a team. Um, successful teams rely on every single person to perform in it. Uh, you look at the, the least successful sporting teams when there's a sort of maverick individual who doesn't time with the team spirit, that can, that can drag the team down. But you think about the most successful, um, even those who might not have the most skillful individuals within it, it's the combination of the team forged by the empathy of the, the leadership of the coaching structure, the captain, and everyone buying in to the same principles that helps everyone together. And I think the final principle, and it's not really principle as such, it's, um, it's being a respecter of time. Uh, time is our most precious resource as teachers. And the most important thing is you don't waste it because when, when time is wasted with pointless meetings, pointless tasks, things that don't actually improve the quality of the children's education, which is, after all, our raison d'etre, if that time is wasted, then the time that we should be spending on ourselves isn't going to be there, and that's going to lead to burnout. In an enlightening conversation with Scott Cowley and Laurie Fraser from Member School Upper Canada College, we were reminded of the importance of being intentional about student well-being in our schools. Laurie Fraser tells us from their experience why this is an important focus. We, we identified it as a need intentionally prior to the pandemic, but I think everyone around the world has experienced sort of the obvious reason why well-being needs to be a focus in our lives to try and navigate these last two years and uh, manage our, our health and support our, you know, our health and our well-being. So teaching skills and habits um, to youth is, seems like an obvious choice. Um, but then especially through this last two years, wow, what a challenging time for teenagers and young people um, across the board. For boys in particular, um, I think it's really important to give space and time for boys and non-binary youth, I would say, to explore concepts of masculinity and identify these sort of outdated stereotypes of what it is to be a boy or a man and allow them to shed some of those restrictions and those, you know, parts of themselves that sometimes they start to shut down as they get older. Um, and so, you know, our advising program for sure can give space to that and um, not just conversations, but activities and experiences and then, you know, practices to, to learn more about themselves. And I think even on a deeper level, what we're seeing now um, is the connection between well-being and our pluralism work for these students. It's really important, I think, to connect themselves also with the greater world that they live in and how to have, you know, healthy relationships in that space. We, we have a pluralism strategy and we're looking for connections between well-being and pluralism and, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion piece. The more we know ourselves, the, the better we can be in the world around us. And um, I heard someone say the other day, you know, self-awareness is the pathway to inclusion. So... Um, gosh, it's an important, important piece. <laughs> Scott Carley also shared advice for school leaders who are considering well-being programs for boys in their own schools. Our approach is one approach. 
and, and our approach, we, we've tried to be very intentional about um, uh, aligning it, as I identified earlier, you know, with our strategy, with our mission statement. Um, so, you know, as, as far as, um, uh, you know, perhaps some insights, I, I would say that would be one of them, just, just that as a school, when you are considering how you might approach well-being, and, and, and we use that term approach very intentionally because we, we didn't want to, you know, sort of buy a program off the shelf and then try to fit it within our school culture. Um, certainly we have that, you know, we have aspects of our programming that involves outside providers and programming, um, uh, you know, from, from those organizations. But it, I really do think it needs to be something that is unique to, um, to, to each school's culture and whatnot. So, you know, that would be one insight. I think a few others, as I mentioned at the start, um, it really needs to be fully incorporated into um, strategic directions of, of the school. I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, and, and resourced accordingly, as I mentioned. Uh, so, you know, we were very fortunate, um, uh, you know, to have a leader and, and our principal um, uh, fully committed to, to the value of well-being uh, in our lives. And, um, and, and as such, you know, you, you see it sit prominently. And I think it has to um, uh, be, be that deeply rooted as part of your, um, uh, your, your, your school's uh, strategy. Um, just other pieces, um, PD for employees. We've we've done. I mentioned I mentioned the mental health first aid um, uh, for all of our employees uh, when we first launched. Uh, I guess about uh, three four years ago now. Uh, we also provided um, a full day of PD um, uh, for all of our employees. We had um, uh, Dr. Matthew White from uh, uh, from the University of Adelaide come in and lead uh, our employees uh, in in a full day session on well being. Um, uh, which which was uh, you know invaluable. Um, measurement is key. We have we have surveyed um, uh, our students year six through year twelve uh, every year since we've started. Uh, you know different surveys, and we're now landing on on one that we that we hope to use for sort of a longitudinal study study um, uh, with students. But um, you know these these are all pieces. I, I, I'd say you know. Um, uh, as you're as you're mapping it out, um, uh, you know, really try to stick to evidence-based and well-researched findings as well. I mean, we you know we look to to experts in the field like like Martin Seligman and, and his theory of of positive psychology and you know Carol Dweck and growth mindset. So so look to those experts. Um, uh, you know, develop great teams. Uh, work with other schools. And you know, as Lori you know said earlier. Um, uh, stick with it because there, there are a lot of competing priorities, but, um, but we know how critical uh, this one is and, and, and how fundamental it really needs to be to, uh, to the student experience at, at any school. A third trend that came to light in our conversations this season is the importance of belonging in boys' schools. Professor Alison Clark Wilson, who was part of the research team sponsored by IBSC to investigate building learning relationships through the use of technology, highlighted how in tech-rich school spaces, we cannot lose sight of the importance of belonging for boys. What does it mean to belong in a, in a technology-enhanced setting, whether that's in a physical classroom with technology on the table or whether that's on, in a, um, a remote uh, teaching environment or in a more at-distance way of thinking? But one of the ways in which technology, uh, from the evidence and the, and the reading that we did, really does enhance that sense of belonging is in a way by giving students more of a voice 
in the classroom or in the in the learning environment. So we looked at a number of studies where this idea of productive talk, where you are really trying to um, encourage students to um, voice their views, voice their ideas around something. And I think the simplest sort of way that many people may have come to understand these sorts of tools are through things like Padlet um, or um, other uh, collaborative online spaces where many voices can all appear at the same time without the noise, if you like, that you might have in the physical classroom. So the way in which we can support students to express their ideas, to share and collaborate on those ideas, and ideally to co-create co um, um, ideas and knowledge that the teacher is then going to support to go in a particular direction for some of uh, some learning purpose or some social purpose. So belonging in some ways is it can be made easier through the technology because you can almost have more anonymous ways of contributing, but you have ways in which it's easier for students to to belong in the sense of, of, of what the um, what's going on in the classroom environment. Tony Reeler, head of Bishop's Diocesan College in South Africa, highlighted that we also need to see belonging in the right light. It's not about assimilation in our spaces, and belonging needs to be carefully nurtured. Sometimes we know that in boys' schools, there's a, there's a crowd mentality that often sweeps people up uh, to kind of do and say things that they wouldn't normally do as individuals, and they, and they regret doing after so if, if that, that sense of belonging is carefully managed and nurtured and, and when it becomes out of hand and when it becomes uh, too frenetic or too obsessive, I think schools have to become very, uh, very deliberate again. And I use that word deliberate because it is an important part of how we do things. Then, in a wonderful conversation with Dr. Derek Gay, he shared some inclusion practices for schools that are tried and tested in this space. I believe one way to transition, as I like to say, from courageous conversations to courageous actions is to first identify um, what even the growth areas are. That is to say, to take stock of where the school is, to have some type of shared vision of where you want to go. And then the work that needs to be done is, is the delta, is the difference between, um, between those two points. The second piece I think important is also begin to, as we do in any, any um, piece of work in our schools, is to actually hold ourselves accountable. I am um, still surprised working with schools um, where I ask, show me your plan. Show me your strategic plan around this work. And what often I hear is a series of discrete activities uh, about an assembly that we have, a speaker that we're bringing in, um, a, a meeting that we had, um, a, a parent session that we had. And I ask again, what are the objectives? What are the tactics? What are the timelines? Who's responsible and ultimately accountable for this? And I get blank faces. So if there isn't a strategy and there isn't accountability around this work, then it's very difficult um, to move um, to move to action. The other piece I think is important is um, that there's a sense of a shared uh, model or framework. So something very specific I've seen schools engage in is this idea of restorative practices or restorative justice. Um, so when there is an infraction in the community, someone uses uh, an unkind word um, or someone treats someone in a way that goes against 
our values around inclusion and belonging, and usually based on who on who they are, usually based on their background identity, that there is a process and a model around how we will address these issues, recognizing that there will be uh, individual um, uh, aspects that will need to be attended to, but the restorative justice model is one where, at the very least, you understand there'll be some type of process. There'll be some type of naming of the harm that's been done. There'll be some type of education for the individual who has inflicted the harm. There'll be some type of restoration to the community versus a you're out um, or versus you're suspended for the day and there has been no learning. So at the very least, the community has a sense of the ways in which the school will methodically process um, these issues and restore justice to, to, to the community. This highlight reel has simply been a taste of the season that has passed. There are so many more nuggets in each episode, and I'd encourage you to listen to each episode in turn and to learn from the insights shared by our guests. We close this episode, as we started, by focusing on the annual conference, which is around the corner and hosted by St. Mark's School of Texas. Here's a little taste of what to expect. Nearly three decades ago, the IBSC set out on a path to support, advance, and celebrate boys' schools and those who work with boys. During that time, educators have gathered in cities and at schools around the world to share ideas, challenge conventions, and celebrate boyhood. In 2022, that path leads here, to the city of Dallas and St. Mark's School of Texas, where for the first time in nearly three years, we'll be together to continue our journey. In 2022, join us in conversations about character and leadership, diversity and inclusion, and stewardship and civic responsibility. Help us chart a course that will help prepare young men assume leadership and responsibility in a competitive and changing world. And as a part of the conference, we invite you to explore the city that we call home. We invite you to see for yourself all that Dallas has to offer. Savor the flavors of mouth-watering Tex-Mex and barbecue. Explore the zoo and arboretum. Visit world-class museums of science, nature, and art. Or cheer on one of the six professional sports teams. Come see what makes Dallas one of the most exciting cities in America. No matter where you come from, our goal is the same, guiding boys along the path to manhood. Come see where the path leads next. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you too for supporting our shared work with boys. Until next time, keep safe and well.